Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. Well, good day, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, whatever time it is by you. Welcome to Line Drive Radio. That's right, folks. We're back. Your favorite baseball podcast, just in time for a little postseason preview with yours truly, Mr. Paul Cuthbert, holding down the board here in New York, home of the boogie down Bronx Bombers. And it's time to bring in my good friend and Line Drive Radio teammate, Mr. Ted Bamford. From the sad city of Chicago these days, buddy. What's going on, pal? Welcome back. Well, look, I, I'm gonna pre- I'm gonna begin my Chicago recap with this. <laughs> the Chicago Cubs have been a wonderful, pleasant surprise this year. In the second half, they were above a 500 team. In September, I think they really showed out. There's a lot to be optimistic about with the Chicago Cubs. The south side is uh, uh, another whole animal. And it's a whole, another whole animal because uh, reportedly today, uh, Tony LaRusso will announce his retirement again. Say it ain't so. Uh, that's what we said when he got hired. Uh, <laughs> so uh, Tony's going to hang it up again, uh, which like A-Rod and Barry Bonds does not uh, re- kickstart his Hall of Fame eligibility because he's already in. Never should have come out of retirement. Uh, but he, it looks like uh, Tony's going to finally, permanently be done. So, bon voyage, senor. And I assume he's feeling better. Obviously, he, he left uh, prematurely because of his health condition. But, uh, I mean, we, we wish him the best as far as that's yeah. concerned. Be healthy, stay healthy, but stay away from baseball. There you go. Bada boom. Bing, bang. Because, because the game, unlike a cocktail, has passed him by. <laughs> oh, buddy! Socks officially eliminated. Didn't see that in the pre uh, the preseason uh, LDR. Uh, you know, start up here back. Uh, how many months ago did the baseball season start? It was six months. But look, Paul, in the preseason kumbaya that we had, what did I say about the White Sox? There were two things that would keep them from winning that division: health and Tony Larusa. And what was their downfall this year? Health and Tony Larusa. What a combo. I mean, look, they're, they're going to play probably 30% of the season without Tim Anderson, who's the stir in the drink. Uh, Mancada's been underwhelming and not healthy a bunch. Aloy Jimenez got hurt, missed a bunch of time. Luis Roberts has been a non-factor in the second half of the season. 
Jolito was pitching for money, and unlike Aaron Judge, he did not do much to help himself. Um, you know, you're you're looking at a team that underwhelms pretty much across the board. The manager did nothing to help him. Frankly, he might have been the uh, antithesis of a motivating factor. And uh, and health did not help. So here we are with Cleveland getting uh, an extra run and full marks to Tito Francona for getting a team that most people had written off to play as well as they did. But yeah, I mean, that, with the White Sox playing the way that they did, that was the worst division in baseball. Uh, even including the National League Central, and the the least bad team won it, and that was Cleveland. But full marks to Tito, incredible job, good to, good for him. Uh, and that pitching staff is going to give people fits in the playoffs and pitching plays. But I don't know what uh, what the White Sox are going to do for a manager here. There's already been people are already throwing Ozzy Guillen's name out there. I told you last year season one of LDR that I would have hired Ozzy instead of LaRusso if you're going to go with a retread because I still believe that he connects more with the young Latino players on that roster. He does. That, that's a fact. Um, and I think he would have been the right kind of certifiable to, to run that ship. But they went with LaRusso. It backfired. They wasted two years of expensive primes of guys on that roster. And now they're going to have to retool and figure out what they do from here because Minnesota – uh, another disappointing team, and it looks like they might lose Carlos Correa to free agency if he opts out, which he probably will. He wants the bag, and I can't blame him for that. Um, Kansas City's coming. We've talked about them. Bobby Wood Jr. looks like he's the goods. Uh, the bottom of that, and Detroit, if they could ever keep a pitcher healthy for more than 30 seconds, they'd be something to talk about. Torkelson's going to figure it out. Riley Green's been really good. So... Um, the White Sox are stuck in this in-between where they don't have a top-flight farm system, though Oscar Colas looks like he might be ready to go sooner than some might have expected, but they don't have a top-flight farm system. They're supposed to be in their window right now, and they just wasted two years of it on Tony La Russa. So it's going to be a very interesting winter on the south side of Chicago, where the north side, I think there's a boatload of optimism, and if you're betting futures, a lot more people, I think, are going to look at the Cubs than the White Sox based on what their young pitching was able to do and the fact that they've got a boatload of money to spend and they're getting linked to guys like Trey Turner and Carlos Correa already. And you know, the season isn't even done yet. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, it's kind of wild, you know, here we are. It's, it's uh first weekend of October. We're just coming out of, and you know, when you look at the, you know, the, uh, the long baseball season, you know, hard to believe it's coming to an end here. And you know, when you, when you start, when, you know, we start talking about it and all fans and everybody, insiders and reporters and journalists, and you start looking at, you know, the long baseball season ahead. And, you know, you get your, your, your junctions and your, and your certain periods, getting out of the gate, April, May, you know, uh, hopefully your, your team's kind of settling in. Managers can see what they have around June. And then you get to the, uh, you know, all-star break and you're talking about the all-star trade and everything. I mean, the, the all-star game and then the trade deadline and everything else, how you come out of that. And, um, you know, it, it, and then it's just the, the push. You come into August, and you, here we are, boom. And we've got, you know, just a couple of races left here as far as the uh, the last National League wildcard team and, and whether or not the Braves or the Mets want this uh, division crown. Obviously, the Braves want a little more right now. But, um, you know, when you take individual teams like the White Sox and, and who were, you know, looked at as a favorite coming into this year and then, 
Um, you know, some other teams here that I'm sure maybe we'll probably hit on either today or, you know, the next episode when we start, you know, when things start uh, firing up here for the playoffs. But that's, that's just one of the amazing things about baseball and how long of a season it is, the patience you have to have. And we've talked about it uh, episode in and episode out here uh, during the different points of the season and to see how it does play out for well, it plays out good for certain teams, you know, whether it's the Guardians, you know, uh, you know, coming out on top in that division there in, in the Central, um, you know, looking at teams like Milwaukee who've pretty much, you know, let let things go here. Uh, some other teams here that had, uh, you know, high hopes uh, to 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 make a, an impact here. And then, like I said, you, you're looking at the teams like the Cubs here kind of showing some promise, the Orioles showing some promise. So there's that look into next year. And I'm just basically kind of summarizing that no matter how you can try and predict things in a baseball season, you put all those different factors and health and uh, managerial decisions. And, 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 Tab, there weren't a lot of guys fired this year at the helm. Um, right. We, we got a handful of guys here, maybe even less than that. But uh, even some of the teams that really kind of struggled here uh, throughout the season, uh, a lot of teams hung, hung on to their managers. So that's going to play into next season as well, too. But, um, you know, swinging back to the White Sox and, and some of these other teams here that are just not going to be in the picture uh, come playoff time here next week is just um, it's a trip to look back on. And I know we're going to look at the bracket here in, in, in a little bit and kind of get some uh, take on, on some of the teams who have who've kind of, you know, stayed steady. And I guess, Tab, that's ultimately the thing in baseball. you got to play – the long game, you know, and, um, you know, if you're there at the end and you're healthy and now with the new playoff system and the, uh, you know, you got a little extra, you, it's not a one game here. You got a couple of games to kind of have a little fun here. And, uh, I think it's also great too, as far as, um, you know, the top four teams, uh, top two teams, obviously in each league getting the buy here, uh, plays out for a really, uh, I think, uh, I think it's gonna be an awesome playoff. It will. And I think, you know, I think you you brought up a couple teams, but I think one of the things that's worth discussing discussing is a Freudian slip, but it really is discussing and digesting here is <laughs> looking back to the trade deadline. Yeah, and at our post deadline show, we talked about teams that tweaked, teams that went for it, teams that didn't, teams that maybe sold surprisingly. Um. And we talked about how making the right move or not making the right move at the deadline could help or hurt a team when they wanted to go for it. And, you know, I think the first place that you saw it really bear out was in the National League Central, where you brought up the Brewers, they traded Josh Hader. Mm -hmm. And that move, I think everyone would agree, has completely backfired on them. Uh, Devin Williams, you know, blown save this weekend. Now they need to basically run the table and get some help to catch the Phillies for the last wild card spot in the National League. Feels almost impossible for them to get in at this point. The flip side of that is the Cardinals, who I think a lot of people looked at their roster and they're like, look, you're going to get Jack Flaherty back at some point. They're hitting. The defense is good. Uh, not many people thought Albert Pujols would become the second best DH in all of baseball behind Jordan Alvarez in the second half of the season. But here we are with him now at 702. Um, and 
they went out and they got Jordan Montgomery from your Yankees and they got Jose Quintana. And both of those guys have been absolutely lights out. I mean, and, and the double frustration uh, from a, you know, a, a Cubs perspective is Quintana's been for the Cardinals what the Cubs were hoping he would have been when they traded Dylan Seats and Eloy Jimenez to the White Sox for him now almost a decade ago. Feels like 50 years, but he's been marvelous. Um, and, uh, and Montgomery's been terrific. I think in the first round of the playoffs, probably both of those guys will get a start. Um, and it really only cost them, you know, some, some prospects and Harrison Bader, who was injured at the time. And they've got enough young outfielders that he was getting squeezed a little bit too. So you look at how the fortune of those two teams changed at the deadline with one team, I guess, selling, even though they were in first place at the time and the other one buying a couple guys that a lot of people thought, okay, so you're adding a couple bottom of the rotation pieces. What's that really going to do? And they ended up being their best pitchers in the second half. Yeah. And then the other one is the Mets, right? Like the Braves didn't really, they didn't need to augment as much as they did last year because of injuries and everything else. But the Mets didn't swing big at the deadline. And a lot of people, especially in Chicago, when you had the Wilson Contreras rumors and people thought that there might be a, a fairly significant deal to be had between the Cubs and Mets, didn't come to fruition. They ended up just adding, you know, some minor pieces in the bullpen that it really, it, it didn't work and they needed more and just getting to ground back wasn't enough. And I mentioned this when we were getting ready to, to hit the record button, but I'm going to read it now because I think Mike Puma at the New York post nailed it. And it's, can, but Tab, before, before you read this man, can, can I, can I give you a little background music? Can I just do mm-hmm. that? All right. Ladies and Set gentlemen. Set the mood. All right. Set the mood. Talk about the Amazons, who really haven't been that amazing. We got to play the, the fight song, buddy. Take it away, Mr. Bamford. Tell us about for the this. second For the second year in a row, they were running the race and tripped before they got to the finish line. Oh, boy. Mike Puma from the New York Post eloquently, brilliantly earlier this morning shared the following on Twitter. Quote, at Braves home games, the freeze... Races somebody from the crowd. The opponent is given a huge head start, but the freeze soon becomes a blur, easily makes up ground, and wins usually. I think he's only lost once or twice ever. There is your metaphor for what has occurred in the National League East. This is the second year in a row that the Mets grabbed first place for four and a half, five and a half months, and then at the finish line got nipped. And the Braves have played the tortoise to the Mets' hair both years. Um, look. No bueno. <laughs> I, mean, it, it, I mean, if you're a Mets fan now, you're looking at DeGrom and Scherzer having to go in the first play-in round and then figuring out what you got. And right now, so let's use that as our transition move over here into where the bracket is as we speak right now. Sounds right good now to me, the National, Right now in the National League, your 200-win teams, the uh, Dodgers who feel like they've won 200 games, wow. and the Braves would get the buys, and the Mets talk about having a mind-numbing road to chase here. By, they, so, point of clarification here, 
the division, the third division winner by virtue of winning their division is automatically the third seed. So just because the Mets have 98 wins and the Cardinals have 92, the Cardinals winning the Central by virtue of being a division champion automatically get the three seed. Mm-hmm. Which pushes the Mets, who could theoretically win 100, into the four line. Right now, the Mets would get the Padres in the first round, who, intriguing. They had to fight their way all the way back into it. You talk about a team that did make a you know a change, and they've been doing it without Tatis all year, and they've had all that action to deal with. And Juan Soto is still trying to figure stuff out. We're in Brown. Um, but that's a lineup that I don't know if I want to deal with and a pitching staff that I think is at least intriguing in a, a short series. And then, the, so the Mets would have to go through San Diego and LA. So they're flying cross country to get her done. The Braves, meanwhile, and it looks like they're probably going to win that division after sweeping three games from the Mets this weekend. And real quick, Tim, just to look at that, the Braves have three in Miami coming up, and the Mets have three in DC against the Nats. Right. So, but realistically, right now, when you look at that division. The Mets are two back, so they'd have to sweep it and get the Braves to lose two. And again, my, Miami's not pitching Alcantara the rest of the way, so they're not going to help the Mets at all. No. Um, so I think right now I feel fairly comfortable with three to play and a two-game lead. Like the Braves are going to end up on that two line, and as it plays right now, and again with a with enough of a lead, I, I feel like the Phillies are going to be able to get in around Milwaukee because Milwaukee just can't get out of their own way. So St. Louis would get Philly, fairly easy travel, and then the winner of that would get Atlanta, again, fairly easy travel. Um, if I'm Atlanta, I'm I'm not thrilled at the prospect of getting St. Louis, but I'm glad I get a bye. Yeah. Because, look, Arenado and Goldschmidt, again, We've said it all year. Probably both of them are worthy of top five MVP consideration. Um, you've got a team that's clearly motivated when, in what appears to be the the swan song for Pujols, Molina, and Wainwright, which the scene yesterday, as somebody in Chicago, I hate it when St. Louis does something well. And when they pulled Wainwright and Molina and Pujols at the same time and they walked off together, that was a great scene. That's goosebumps. The Cardinals seem to find a way to do that fairly frequently, but not with three franchise icons at once but they're going to be able to walk off the field again at some point because they've got playoffs coming to them um, and the way that pools is handling left-handed pitching you look at what atlanta's pitching staff has coming um you know philly's interesting but i don't know if just their pitching staff has what it needs and their their lineup has enough holes in it that i think you know they're going to need guys like aaron nola to really put their big boy pants on if they want to and get them around St. Louis. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, for the Mets to have to, I mean, look, the Mets will host the entire first round, even though they will be the road team on mm-hmm. paper mm-hmm. against San Diego, but then having to cross the country and theoretically get LA, if they can get out of the first round with Scherzer and DeGrom, uh, presumably having to pitch to get them around San Diego then you're looking at Chris Bassett probably getting game one in L.A. And then either you're going to go short rest on DeGrom slash Scherzer or whatever in game two. 
which I would assume again that they're probably they're going to want their offense to show up so that they don't have to use a ton of pitches from Scherzer and Degrom if they don't have to, so that they can go short rest because you're going to want them at least once, if not have one of them at least available twice against the Dodgers if you really think you can win that in seven. Um, so that's really not ideal. And if Atlanta is flying to St. Louis, that's you know two hours in a plane. That's not bad at all. Uh, for both of those teams, but I don't. I, I, that's a pick 'em series if that's what we end up with. You know that because you're going to be looking at you know probably Montgomery Quintana factoring somehow into that Philly series, and then those guys are going to have to do some heavy lifting around Wainwright once they get to Atlanta. So uh, the National League side really looks like an absolute mess. Um. The American League is a little bit more gross and disgusting. It could actually play. I mean, it could be a lot more interesting here, Paul, in the next three days. Because we've talked about this a bunch this year. Well, what, what's standing out for you in the next three days? Here, here's, here's the kicker for me. We've talked about this. So you've got the six teams in, but there's some wiggle room here for who the five and six seed are between Seattle and Tampa. Mm-hmm. And first of all, hats off, tip of the cap, whatever you want to do to Scott Service for getting Seattle into the playoffs and clinching a spot on a walk-off home run from a young guy is perfect for them. Yeah. And I love that that city is up in arms over them. I think it sets the table for a fun hockey season for them. Yep. They're chasing an NBA team. Mm-hmm. They've got some questions and concerns about what's going on with their NFL franchise post Russell Wilson, but the place is loving it, and it's been 20-whatever years for Seattle to get into the postseason. Longest drought in baseball. Good for them for getting in the dance. It's a fun team, though. It's, it's, it's a, a team fun, that it's you, a fun team. you, you got to play hard against these guys. You do. And, again, circling back to the trade deadline, they went out and swung big and went out and got Luis Castillo, who they've since locked up to an extension. Huge. And so now you're looking at Castillo, Robbie Ray, probably Logan Gilbert in their first round series. That's three pretty good pitchers and that lineup can hit right now. They're right now. They're the five. So they would, they would actually go to Toronto. So you've got the Seattle Toronto rivalry that hockey fans love. Oh yeah. Huge. The last 18 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, but that, that would leave the, uh, the Tampa Bay Rays playing in Cleveland. We've talked about this. Tampa Bay has problems with the Yankees, and right now they line up on the Yankees' side of the bracket. Seattle has its issues getting past Houston. Right now Seattle is on Houston's side of the bracket. Tampa Bay is a game and a half behind Seattle. And I submit that it would behoove them to find a way to flip places if they have long-term aspirations in in this playoff because Tampa Bay getting Toronto, who they've got some familiarity with, and then Houston, to me, lines up better than them getting Cleveland's pitching staff in the first round, and if they can get through that, going to New York. Similarly, we've talked about this, Seattle, who can't seem to find a way to get out of Houston, plays the Yankees really freaking well. They do. They have. And they did. I'm the Yankees. I don't know if I want to get... Castillo Ray in a series here. It doesn't matter who we get, Tab. Doesn't matter. Doesn't who's, matter. Who's, who's starting game two for the Yankees? 
Well, depending on how things line up here after the Texas series, and you know they're going to have a lot of rest here. So I mean, I mean they've they've got all the time in the world. So they Aaron can do whatever there. he want. I mean, he's got you know you got Cole in one, but who who's going? Are you going to go Cortez and two? You can you can go Nestor, and I got to tell you, Herman's pitched pretty damn well for the New York Yankees. You could throw him in there, you know. But for me, the biggest question mark is if I'm the Yankees, who pitches games two and three? behind Garrett Cole. And if you take Jermon out of your bullpen, what does that make your bullpen look like? I agree with you. Look, the Yankees shouldn't care. They're ready to, they're ready to do this dance. They, they're already planning their flights to Houston. But there's reason to be concerned with that pitching staff. And if I were them, I would prefer to have the winner of Tampa-Cleveland than have Seattle lurking. For yeah, the I, same reason that I talk about the Mets having to go to L.A., the Yankees having to go to Seattle is a long plane flight, and Seattle is going to have something waiting for them. And playing in front of, you know, let's call it what it is, it, if the Yankees are in Tampa, it's going to be 60% pinstripe fans. Um, if they get Cleveland, that pitching staff scares me to death because their bullpen is lights out. Um, but... If I'm the Yankees, I'm kind of hoping that Seattle stays on that five line and Seattle gets to go beat up on Toronto, and then the winner of that mess gets to figure out Houston, and you get to deal with Tampa-Cleveland. But if I'm the Yankees, I do have some some pause figuring out my pitching. I think they're going to be okay. They've got some time here to heal up. They've got... Uh, Aaron's got some time here to, to keep throwing some guys out in situations here over the next couple of games with Texas. They did a huge favor for themselves winning the division last week. It was just a huge weight off all their shoulders. You know, and, and, and right now... The well, focus... except Judge as still has the weight on his shoulders of chasing 62. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's not a weight, but... Even, I... even, even a Yankees fan, you have to admit, it looks like he's he's trying a little too hard. Yeah, but you know what? He's... You know, we could get into his at bats here. I mean, he's he's up there doing what he can do. You know, he's and he's not he's not swinging away at stuff. He's 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 being smart out there. He's getting walks. He's he's contributing. Uh, you know, some short game here too. Hits. He's he's providing. Uh, you know, runs and everything else. I mean, look. You know, as a Yankee fan, winning the division was just huge. It was just huge. I mean, yeah. whatever Judge does individually here, it's fancy. Look, he's tied it. It's been an amazing season. You know, he's the MVP. He's just been an all-star up and down in all facets as far as, you know, league MVP and all that stuff. And, you know, he's got a couple of games here to do it against Texas. And if it happens, it happens. And I think it will happen. Somebody will off I do, in. too. I think somebody will off win him for him. Why not, why not want to be one of the pitchers, or unless it's the last at-bat for him, you know, I want to be the guy who guns him down. But... You know, if you if you know, we're going to talk Yankees here and and this roller coaster that they've been on. You know, seventy win teams and uh, team, seventy win team, um, heading into the All Star break, and then just two months of just chaos and uh, questioning and injuries and um, just the whole team going into a massive slump. Um, but it also. You know, you, you talk about the pitching. I, th- when the Yankees have needed their pitching, they've kind of come through. The biggest thing that's that's affected the Yankees in the loss column for me, especially after the All-Star break, and until they figured it out, up until winning the division there last week, was the bats getting back into it. 
And, you know, there's there's three guys here that are going to make a huge impact on this team, or maybe four guys outside of the usual suspects. You know, I mean, you got Judge and you got Rizzo there, and, and you're going to have Stanton, you know, come in and out whenever, uh, you know, wherever Boone wants to play him in there. But Oswaldo Cabrera, he doesn't come into this team if the Yankees don't go into that slump. He doesn't get a shot. The kid's all world. He's just unbelievable. And uh, as far as being a utility player, sitting from both sides of the plate and just incredible. No, it's crazy that he, realistically, theoretically, he should be your shortstop and Glaber should be at second base. And with LeMahieu ailing, that might be what you see. But the crazy thing is, if they let Glaber walk, he's not even their shortstop of the future. It's Anthony Volpe. I know. He's so kind of stuck in that hybrid role permanently. So you're right. Like he's a fascinating wild card for them. Yeah. So he he's been huge, right? Um, Harrison Bader coming into the lineup here has been just unbelievable. You know, Benintendi's been out. Uh, we forget about him, and Harrison's just been amazing. Uh, and he looks like he's just been hysterical to watch. He just, he'll just like, go get it in center field too. Like he's going to yeah, help I mean, them defensively yeah, so I mean, much. But he and he's but he's a good hitter, man. He's he's already in the groove, you know. He's he's just uh, a good, a great addition. You know, you you bring up Glaber Torres. Torres has played pretty damn well here this last month too. Um, and DJ's coming back. You know, Booney's got a full arsenal to throw up at the plate, and it's spread out a little bit. And this team has kind of got out of its funk. Um, JD and Connor Falefa have been your defensive stalwarts there all season long, and in playoff baseball. You know, those are the guys you want. They got a pretty damn good infield as far as the defensive aspects of it. And JD and kind of Falefra have kind of poked away here at some big hits, helping out. You know, as far as the team. So I think um, you know the bats are there. Uh, you can't look at this series against Baltimore. They're all laid back. They're all relaxed right now, right. Um, and they're just kind of having some fun. But when it counted here in the last two weeks, here leading up to the division, uh, the guys all hunkered in, man, and you could see it. You could feel it. Uh, the hits were spread out. Um, they got all kinds of pitching was coming at them. Um, you know, getting a look at Tampa, getting a look at Toronto. They kind of handled everything the way they kind of needed to, and, and, and they earned their spot here. And that team from the first half of the season is now, you know, as far as the bats are concerned, are all kind of gelling. And um, there's no doubt this team believes in Booney, and Booney believes in this team. And I think Booney's done the best he can do with the pitching staff that he has. And I think when all things are said, um, you know, even losing Montgomery and everything else, um, you know, I think these guys are going to be all right. And if they get the run support, I don't think that the, the pitching is going to be that much of a concern for the Yankees. I think, you know, and I said this too. I said, you know, when we talk about whether they play Tampa, whether they play Cleveland, whether they play Seattle, and ultimately if they get to playing Houston, you know, I think it's the, these guys just they have to bring everything at them, and it doesn't matter. But I think more than anything, look, the Yankees are just – they're in a much better situation now. And I think the experience that they went through and the slumps and the the questions and doubting themselves and or whether they doubted themselves, you know, personally, I think the fan base was, you know, oh, my God, here we go again. But I, I don't think that's the kind of um, lineup that we got going into the playoffs here. And, and, and I'll say this as a Yankee fan. I don't care who they play, Tab. Bring them all. Beat them all. I You know, Seattle's, yeah, it's going to be a great challenge. Did they play them? Did Seattle play the Yankees tough there? Absolutely they did. But, you know, the, the Yankees played, they kind of brushed off Tampa Bay and, and Toronto here these last couple of series, really not threatening anymore. And um, Cleveland's played the Yankees pretty good too. So, I mean, it, all, you know, 
whoever comes at them, they just got to take them. I'll take the Yankees lineup and their pitching right now and those questions up against anybody else in the American League right now, minus the Houston Astros, who are no doubt just a monster of a team. And if yeah, that's I who mean, the Yankees got to go through, then that's so be it. I think everybody's looking at a Astros-Dodgers rerun uh, as the likely scenario, but bold statement for you, Paul, and I want your reaction. This year in the postseason, the New York Yankees will go as far as Anthony Rizzo can take them. I'm circling Anthony Rizzo, and let me explain why. I like it. I like where you're coming with the, this. The dude's, the dude's missed 30, 30 games. It's no mistake that when the team swoon started was when Rizzo's back flared up and he started to miss some time. He's still ranked second on the team with 32 jacks. He's third on the team with 75 runs batted in. Well, technically fourth because Stanton and Glaber are tied with 76. So he's one behind them. Uh, he's played a dozen fewer games than Glaber Torres, and he's 14 total bases behind him. Um, you talk about your infield defense. It is exponentially better when Rizzo is at first base than it is when you've got LeMahieu or someone else trying to hold down first base. But more, even more than your infield defense – I mean, look, we, we joke in Chicago because he got to play manager on the day the judge hit 61. He made the lineup. He was sitting there on the in the catbird seat calling the shots. Future gig for him, wouldn't doubt it. He's one of those guys. He's a leader. No one questions that. Um, but having his left-handed bat do work changes everything. We talked about it last year. They didn't have a left-handed bat until they went and got Gallo and Rizzo at the deadline because Hicks has been a non-factor for them. Who? Frankly, he still is a non-factor. <laughs> he absolutely and That's why is. Bader is so important because Bader oh, pushes yeah, Hicks man. out of center field. Absolutely. But Rizzo's left-handed bat in the middle of that lineup changes the whole dynamic. He's great protection for Judge. He pushes guys like LeMahieu and Stanton and Donaldson down. Um. You know, the batting average hasn't been great, but the 340 on base is nice. His 736 OPS, I think, is what you need. It's right there with what Stanton's been at, even though Stanton's hitting my college body weight and his uh, <laughs> on base is sub 300, which is really not good. Uh, but, you know, he's still sitting there with his 29 home runs and 76 runs batted in. So smoke him if you got him in 108 games. That's still pretty decent. But Anthony Rizzo's the guy that's going to, really determine what they can do in the postseason because if he's healthy and right, he changes everything for them defensively and offensively. Your thoughts? Uh, Anthony Rizzo is just, he's, he's everything you just said. He's one of the most important things about this Yankee team. And he's, we're, we're blessed to have this guy on the roster. There's no doubt about it. He was made to be a pinstripe, you know, um, he just fits in so well. And I agree with you. Yeah. The, the Yankees were missing something and you know, they, you know, the, Judge, judges carried the team all season. Let's just put it that way. And he's been able to do yes. that because because a guy like Tony Rizzo has been in the lineup. And I think um, I think more than anything, Tab. Ultimately, championship baseball teams 
are not only made up of incredibly talented players, but they're also made up of primarily guys who have just incredible character, incredible leadership, um, and guys who can just force other guys or lead the right way and, and, and make guys play better around them. And Judge and Rizzo have been that team, that duo for this team. And I can tell you as a Yankee fan, you know, when you look at other teams and you look at other personalities on teams and sometimes, uh, you know, it's uh, a player becomes the headline above the team in a bad way. You know, Aaron Judge being the headline of the Yankees is because of his production on the field. And he's chasing history here. But he's also just, he's carried this team. Um, Anthony Rizzo, to me, is a classic Yankee guy in the terms of guys like Don Manningly and Thurman Munson, um, guys that were just revered, uh, Derek Jeter, uh, Bernie Williams. You know, these guys are just on and off the field, um, just carried themselves a certain way. And also, as far as being serious when it's game time, but also have the uh, down-to-earth personality to kind of lighten things up a little bit. Um, Rizzo uh, going down with his injury when he did, um, the Yankees battling through it, uh, and then him coming back into the lineup. It's all about timing, Tab. You know this more than anything. Uh, again, winning the division last week, huge relief. These guys all get the extra rest. Rizzo's going to be ready and stuff like that, and um, he's a big part of it. And then you start looking at this lineup, and you talk about you know the Yankees worrying about facing who they're going to face as far as pitching. I mean, come on. If, if you're throwing against the Yankees now, it's that, that lineup is just huge. And the back end of the lineup, you know, with Bader and with Cabrera and with Torres, uh, you know, these guys have been hitting the ball. Uh, and Trevino, too. I mean. But, 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 the, but the big thing is. And need, I'm just in short. I want, I want to Because just you know that Tampa, Cleveland, Houston, Seattle, you know that all of these managers that the Yankees are going to get are going to make somebody other than Aaron Judge beat them. That's and that's fine, and I think the Yankees have those guys. I mean, look, you you walk Judge, you get Judge out or whatever. Okay, Rizzo's up next. Rizzo goes down. You, I mean, he's got he can put Lemayo in there for a pop, or he, he's got Stanton. You know, Stanton's. I don't care. I mean, he's 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 still kind of struggling a little bit to get his mojo back. But are you is Stanton the kind of guy you want to take a chance with with a couple of guys on base? He's a monster up there, especially when he gets into his groove. And these guys know, too, and, Tab, you know this, too, and as championship teams, do these guys know, guys like Judge, Rizzo, like, are they going to get another shot at this? Um, Donaldson, um, this is... This well, I, think, is... I think realistically, when you talk about, is this their last dance? I think you... Look, Judge is... We've talked about it all year. Judge bet on himself, and he won huge. He's having Absolutely. one of the greatest individual offensive seasons in the history of the game. I mean, that's not hyperbole. He really is. Um, it, looks, I, it looks like he might come up a little short on the batting average for a triple crown, but to have the average that he does and then couple that with 61 jacks and 130 runs batted in on a team where everyone around him has had their moments of either health problems or just straight-up struggle, um, he's been magnificent. Uh, but you're going to have to have guys – step up because no one's going to let judge beat them. And a guy like Donaldson, who this might be his last run guy like Torres, who like judge is playing for his next contract. And the reality for him is it's probably not going to be in New York. 
kind of Falefa knows that this is this as far as yeah. this team he's and this, Vol- this opportunity. has got Volpe sitting in the background of the team photo here, waiting for his job. Hicks is uh, pretty much probably you know. I mean, yeah, but you know, you've got a bunch of guys, and this kind of reminds me of like the team that the Yankees put together in '96, right? Where you've got some older guys like. You've got Tino, you've got Paul O'Neill, both, you know, Paulie had been there with the Reds, knew what it took. So I've made the Paul O'Neill, Anthony Rizzo comp earlier this year on the show. And I kind of feel like he's that guy. Um, But you had a bunch of guys who didn't know how many more cracks at the apple they would get. And I think the finality of the finances in New York, when you're looking at one, the wave of prospects who are coming, you've got guys like Dominguez and Volpe who are, on the cusp who are going to take jobs away next year. And you've got guys that they probably just won't be able to bring back. And it's crazy to say that the Yankees can't afford them, but with the luxury tech situation, how much they're still paying Stanton and Cole and the reality that I don't think either side of the negotiation wants Aaron judge to play somewhere else, even though you're going to have teams lined up around the block for him. And I wouldn't be shocked if some team made it went crazy and said, look, you're going to be 30, what 32 years old. We're not going to go to ten years, but we'll give you fifty million a pop for four or yeah, but, five. Yeah, but, I mean, look, that's all going to play out. I mean, at the same time, too, does you're going to have guys. Does Aaron Judge want to be a... dropped somewhere where he's not going to win? Well, a, there are going to be teams that are going to be able to sell him on the dream too. And I'm not. This is not a me hypothesizing here, but I'm using it as a as a potential scenario for the case of this conversation, but. If you're the Chicago Cubs and you've got a boatload of young players coming up and you're not spending any money and you say to Judge, look, you saw what we did in the second half last year. If we add your bet to the middle of our lineup and we've got XYZ coming up, we're viewing you as John Lester for this generation. I'm not saying that the Cubs are going to do that. Could they? I think John Heyman said, could the Cubs float into the periphery? Maybe, but it's a massive launch. But if you're the Yankees and you're Aaron Judge, you realize what the brand value is when those two are attached, and it it's it feels like a fait accompli that he'll he's going to stay in the Bronx. He needs to, he has to, but a lot of these other guys are looking at okay, Volpe's going to be on a rookie contract. So if you're kind of Falefa or if you're Glaber, you're either trying to get New York to believe in you for another year, or you're playing for the next team to give you a good a good deal. So you got a lot of guys trying out for next contract. If you're Josh Donaldson, this might be it. Um, but you've got a lot of uncertainty on that roster. And that's what's scary this time of year is guys that are not financially secure, guys that are not job secure, guys that have something to prove to either their current employer or their next employer. The only thing more dangerous than trying to prove something to someone else is someone that's emptying the tank because this is it. And I think I brought that up with St. Louis. When you look at Yachty and Albert and Wayno this being their swan song, even though I don't think Wayno's officially said it, it sure as hell feels like it. The only thing more dangerous than guys playing for their next contract is guys that know that the next contract isn't there. And this is their last run. This is it. This is the last dance to borrow from the Bulls series on ESPN. That was so freaking amazing to watch, but that's what makes a team like the Yankees dangerous is you got a bunch of guys like the Astros. I think a lot of those guys, you got some young guys that are growing into it. Pena replacing Correa didn't miss a beat. Bregman's pretty well taken care of. Altuve's, Altuve's pretty well taken care of. 
Alvarez just got the bag. So, you know, Verlander bounced back this year. He's going to have a really strong case for the Cy Young in the American League. So you've got a bunch of guys who are pretty well taken care of who aren't worried about what's next. So there's three things that you worry about in the postseason, and it's a team like the Yankees that are playing to impress either their current or next employer, a team like the Cardinals who are emptying the tank because this is it, and those guys are rallying around pools, and they're rallying around Molina because they don't want to let them down. Even if you're Arenado and Goldschmidt and you're financially secure for the rest of your life, you don't want those guys to go out with an L. And the third dangerous component to a postseason is you're too young to know that you're not supposed to be there. And that's the Seattle Mariners. And to an extent, that's the Toronto Toronto Blue Jays. Jays. Absolutely. These are young guys that are playing with a screw you or too young mentality. And I think that's what makes those teams so freaking scary. Because if you're Houston, Seattle's sitting in your rearview mirror in second place in that division. Yeah, you know what? It might feel like they're a half mile back based on the lead that you're going to finish the season with. But to borrow from the automobile industry, objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. And I think you've got to be worried about what Seattle's got, especially with Castillo inking a long-term extension with them. And you've already got Robbie Ray, and they've got some young pitching coming. And, look, they hung on and got into the playoffs with Julio Rodriguez being banged up down the stretch. And he changed the whole damn thing for them this year. And, you know, again, patting myself on the back for making him my pick to click as the American League rookie (laughs) of the year. But – if you've got a healthy Julio in the playoffs and you've got the horses on the mound to do some damage and you've got young guys that are playing with swagger and don't know that they're not supposed to be there, that's, that's a dangerous proposition. So this is what makes this time of year fun, right? You Absolutely. Know, you look around and you've got the Mets who should but, have a before you go forward, backing in, and it, it, you've got so many variables. And it, it's like I said last year, embrace the chaos. Yes, and speak. here we are. Speaking of variables, and let's get back to your original question to me, and that's Anthony Rizzo. So if you look at the other teams here, and let's just stay in the American League here, who is the Anthony Rizzo on these other teams? You know, who's the Anthony Rizzo on the Astros? Now, do the Astros, is it just a bunch of guys? I mean, they just, they just, I, I just don't see Houston having any trouble with whoever they get in the first round. Right. Well, and Houston, if you talk about who's their alpha, who's going to put that thing on his back and go, 1A is Altuve and 1B is Bregman. But are they they, they, they similar type personalities? Are they similar type personalities? Oh, Altuve absolutely is. Altuve is the guy that looks people in the eye and says, let's do a freaking job here and let's go. So for me, Altuve is that guy. I think if you look at, a team like Cleveland, it's going to be Jose Ramirez, but more than even Jose Ramirez, I think Tito's a guy that looks around the room and you've got a hodgepodge of players. And other than Jose Ramirez, you know, okay, you got a nailer. Okay. You've got a couple guys that have nice years. Andres Jimenez, I mean, is making them look like geniuses for the Lindor trade because he looks like he's a bona fide superstar at shortstop. But Tito's going to be the guy that's going to tell them, let's go. The, the two teams that it's TBD on are the two teams that are following the Yankees in from the East. If you're Tampa, you know, Kiermaier's a little banged up, right? I don't know who – someone on Tampa is going to have to stand up in front of everybody and say, here's what we got to do. They were in the World Series a couple years ago, but a lot of those pieces are gone. And in Toronto, you know, is it George Springer who won a ring with Houston? 
And that would be a kind of a fun dynamic to watch play out. George Springer returns to Houston in the playoffs, betting leadoff for the Toronto Blue Jays. Is it Vladdy Jr.? Is it Bo Bichette? But you don't have, I mean, George Springer's the guy that's got the back of the baseball card, that's got the pedigree that you would want this time of year. But, and he was, look, that World Series where he was the MVP for Houston, people forget that he was this close to getting his butt stapled to the bench until he turned around and started hitting everything out of the ballpark. Mm -hmm. And so you look at Toronto and Tampa and you have to kind of wonder a little bit, who's going to be that guy? Now, with Seattle, I think it's not one individual person. I think it's a collective. Again, we're too young to be here. We're not supposed to be here. We're too naive to be here. So they're looking around having fun. This is really an experience here. But do you think they're... they're, And they could be dangerous because they they don't care. They're playing with house money. So here's another thing you just brought up there, too. And let's talk about the structure of a team. So as far as the teams are built structurally... We're talking about you know uh, who who you want to be afraid to play against here, and you know you you know if in Toronto it's just Bichette and Vladdy, and those are, you you eliminate eliminate those two guys. I mean the rest of the team, you know, there's not much to show for, right? So if you shut down a couple of guys in Tampa, is it the same thing? You shut down a couple of guys in Cleveland, or is Cleveland a little more balanced up and down the lineup? You know Seattle here, um, combination of everything, the young team, the city's going to be back and you know behind them. You know, Tampa's, Tampa's, you know, as far as a home field advantage in Tampa, and obviously Florida's just in, our thoughts go out to everybody down in Florida after uh, Hurricane Ian. Um, but I, I think that has a lot to do with it, too. Um, it was great to see the, the crowds come out in Toronto for the Yankee series, but I think most of them are there to it could be part of the, you know, whatever, um, as far as the energy there, whatever. But as far as a, a full-structured team here, and then maybe we'll bleed over to the other side to the National League there, uh, tab and this gets back to like I said, you're bringing up Anthony Rizzo, huge part of of the Yankee psyche and um and then he just even uh, as a personality and as a leader and obviously a huge piece of that lineup as far as the bats and defensively he just rounds out the whole team and and to put a kind of a little bow on it for me for the Yankees the Yankees are nicely kind of wrapped here going into the to the playoff series and to get back in terms of what decisions are going to be made next year for the Yankees. I think it's going to play out big time in terms of how the Yankees' season ends this year. If they become champions, does Rizzo stay another year? Does Judge hang out another year? Whatever the heck it is. Does Judge need to go out and get all the money he wants? Because, hey, he's won it with the Yankees. That's where he wants to win it. You know, what happens with Boone? You know, there's, there's so many things that will change as far as whether the Yankees come out on top or how they finish. If the Yankees get close, because Rizzo and Judge are tight. And there's a pretty good nucleus of team here and some, you know, some young guys, Garrett Cole and stuff like that. I mean, do they say let's stay together here? So I think there's a lot to play out as far as the Yankees side. And and they're a well-rounded team, well-balanced team. You talk about the prospects coming in. Um, I think Booney's done wonders to I, – I think he'd hopefully be here for another – I love Booney. I hope he's here for another 10 years. That's how much I love him. Um, but we'll see how the playoffs play out. He's got he's to manage a great uh, playoff series. So getting yeah, back he needs to that to be first half, Aaron Boone in yeah. the postseason. So for they're a more well-rounded Yankees team to have that feeling. So they're a well-rounded team. So to me, Seattle is the better well-rounded team as far as coming in against anybody else besides the Yankees and the Astros. The Astros, obviously, a well-rounded team. Soup well, look, I I'll say this. So Toronto's got a lot of pop in the lineup. I really like their lineup. I've got some questions about their pitching rotation 
uh, and specifically Jose Barrios missing bats. I, I, I think Seattle, when you talk about balance, you're right. I think it, if you talk about balanced teams, I would submit that being able to go with Castillo and Ray in the first two games of a series with four guys with 20 home runs in the lineup, Seattle might have the best overall package when you talk about a five or seven game series to be afraid of. But this is my concern if I'm the Yankees, and the reason that I brought up what what happens after Garrett Cole. You look ah, at they're going to be fine. The two teams <laughs> that line up pitchers. late. The two teams against them in the bracket right now, Tampa and Cleveland. You've got two managers who have been through it before. And you've got two teams that aren't afraid to play small ball. And you've got two teams that grind out at bats. And those are the two teams in this entire playoff picture on the American League side that are really going to put stress on a pitching staff. And so if that's why I brought up who's throwing two after Garrett Cole. And if you take Domingo German out of your bullpen and make him your number three starter, what does that do to the length of your bullpen? Because if Garrett Cole gets to 60 pitches through three innings and you got to start talking about, we need somebody to eat two or three out of the bullpen at some point because Cole's got to come back on short rest. So he can't throw 120 in game one. This is where these little things in the playoffs start to play out and where the micro matchups start to really factor in. Does Tampa have an alpha in that lineup that you're like, holy crap? Well, Wander Franco probably. But that's a young team, and it, other than Franco, you're kind of like, okay, it, they are who they are. That's cool. But they're a team that has no problem yanking pitchers because they'll throw 15 in a game every single day and not miss a beat because they've done it for a decade. Pitching matchups doesn't mean a damn thing for them because they're going to throw six to nine guys in every single game that they play because that's how they're built. And Cleveland's got some horses at the front end, and they got some horses in the back, and they're going to mix it up as they go. But both of those teams' offenses play small ball. And you're starting to see a trend with a lot of teams in, in baseball, and the Cubs did it a lot this year when they went into the Mets and pissed on them and made DeGrom look like he wanted to pull his luscious long locks out of his head, bunting for singles and moving guys around and running the bases on them. This is where Booney's going to have to earn that paycheck and earn the prestige of being a Yankee manager like the guys that he's followed that have a ring at home. And that is... He's going to have to manage the hell out of this postseason. And frankly, I think the Astros might be the easiest team that they get to manage against. Because they're not going to, I don't think they're going to get Toronto because if Toronto gets through Seattle, they're not going to get through Houston. If they get Seattle or Cleveland or Tampa, it's going to be hard because you've got teams that are going to run the bases on you and they're going to play some small ball against you. And they're going to put a lot of pressure on your collective pitching staff. So while the bats on the Yankees will play, it's the pitching staff is where I have the, the pause in penciling them straight through the American League Championship Series. And that's where the trade of Jordan Montgomery raises a question mark for me because Bader's been a great fit. He's going to throw the leather in center field. It's been great. But having a guy like Montgomery who can give you five or six after Garrett Cole is a big deal. And the fact that they're going to have to go through this postseason without Severino means Aaron Boone is going to have to manipulate the living hell out of that pitching staff to win it all. And if he does, he'll be a legend. Pure and simple. Because right now, I think that they're a team that is built for Garrett Cole to win you one or two games in each series, and then they're just going to have to win six, five games from there. 
Well, I'm going to tell you. You're going to try and nickel and dime him to death. And you know what? Like I said, you've got managers in the American League that are in no way, shape, or form going to let Aaron Judge beat him. And if you're lined up to win a game 6-5 and you take the bat out of Judge's hand, that's where guys like Rizzo and Stanton and LeMahieu and Donaldson and Kiner Falefa and Glaber Day, they're all going to, you're going to have to show up in that lineup depth that you're touting, and rightfully so, is going to have to be what it is. And I think they will. And I'm not worried that's about why Seattle, That's why, frankly, I, Seattle scares me to death in the American League. Well, they, they might fizzle out. They might go to Toronto for two games and go home and call it a really successful year because they got a taste. But that's also a team that scares me to death. Well, like I said, they got this... two horses, really three, if you include Gilbert in, in their rotation. And they got they got a really well put together lineup. They run the bases well. They got some pop. They scare me. Both, both of your teams are out, man. What are you afraid of? You don't have to have any stress going into this postseason. I have uh, no stress. Uh, I'm just going to tell you this. I'm, I'm, I'm busy waiting for the Bears and Blackhawks to fight over who gets a top 10 pick this year. There you go. There you go. Hey, look, man, I'm going to stick with my Yankees. I have all season long through the ups and downs. They've found a way, and they put themselves in the best position they possibly could with the pitching staff they have. And the lineup uh, that Booney has to put out there. And he's got pieces that he can shift around. And he's been able to use these last couple of months to, you know, figure out what works and what doesn't work. And as far as getting this by and letting these other teams, rightfully so, just muck it out a little bit. And then you know what? Whoever he's got to throw out in the mound there, just let it take its course. Um and I think this lineup being healthy with the leadership, there's some really, really, really talented guys at the plate that the Yankees are throwing up. And I'm not going to sit here and, and, and really worry about who 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 gets thrown up at the mound. They've seen it all this year. They've just got to play like champions. That's it. When you're this is the stuff, you know, you gotta get in there. What'll help the Yankees out, I think, is most of the teams in the first round here, a lot of young kids, a lot of young teams, you know, and, and maybe what we'll do is hopefully Seattle will get through and they'll give Houston a good run at it or stretch them out a little bit, you know, and that's no disrespect to whether the, you know, Houston has to play Toronto or whoever it is. Um, I just think whoever the Yankees get in that first round, I'm fully confident they're going to be able to handle them one way or the other. And as far as playing Houston, it's just big boy time. and. Yep. And then even if they were to get over that mountain, you know, and, and I'd like to swing over to the National League here for a little bit too before we wrap things up is, um, you know, the Dodgers, I mean, they're the kings of the mountain over there. But if the Mets, the Mets are in, right? They're, that's that's all that matters for the, the Mets. I mean, we make fun of the Mets. I make fun of the Mets. I'm a Yankees fan, all that stuff. And, hey, Mets fans, stop rooting for this team and talking like they're the world from April through June. Because this is when it matters. Because now they're, you know, the bed again here uh, at the end of the year. But the bottom line is, they're in it. And they've got an incredible lineup. They've got a lot of talent on this team. They can shake it off. And this is where they'll find out. They've got a very experienced manager back there. Um, they should absolutely be able to handle San Diego Padres. You know, if, if that's who they get. And the fact that they are going to be home helps them out. So if they got to go out to the West Coast... And they played the Dodgers pretty well this season, so it's not a really bad matchup for the Mets and the Dodgers. I think it's a, I think it's a, it's a TV matchup we all want. 
We'd love to see. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You you want that. But look with the, and this is the thing, flipping the script over here to the national league for a minute. You're right. Like the fact that the Padres are going to be sitting in New York for three days is going to help the Mets. But then, and the Dodgers are going to have to cross the country just as much as the Mets are. Right. And the only issue that I have, if I'm the Mets is you're going to have to use one or both of Scherzer to Grom to get through San Diego. And then you're not going to have at least one of them for game one. And the pressure is all on the Mets here. And that's the big thing. The Padres come in there. That's, that's house money, buddy. Oh, they absolutely. Would, it is. They love a shot of getting through the Mets to play the, uh, the Dodgers. That would be epic too. So as baseball fans, we can't lose. <laughs> yeah, no, a- absolutely. And you know what? And, but if you're the Dodgers, right, you, you, Walker Bueller's not there. And Kershaw has had his physical limitations. And last year, the Dodgers pushed their chips in and went and got Trey Turner and Scherzer. And then Scherzer's body failed him in the playoffs. And they didn't get over the mountaintop, right? So right now you're looking at Urias, who, by the way, when they won the World Series, was on the mound to close the game, probably being one of your first couple game starters. And then you're going to have some young guys, Tyler Anderson, Tony Gonsolin, who have been magnificent all year, but they're not postseason starters with long October resumes like Kershaw. Mm-hmm. And even to an extent, Urias, even though he's largely been a bullpen guy. Um, so I, you're right. Like if I'm the Mets, if they can get, if they can win two and save a third day against the Padres and set it up for Bassett to get game one and then look at either Scherzer to Grom to come back on short rest for two and have the other one with the travel day to get some run in game three on closer to normal rest. I think the Mets should feel pretty good about going into LA and getting a matchup with the Dodgers who again, look like world beaters. Mm-hmm. But the top half of that bracket with the potential of a St. Louis Atlanta series is just hilariously amazing because <laughs> the Braves won it all last year with a reconstructed outfield and Ozzy Albies being a huge component of the offense. Albies, I feel terrible for the kid. He comes back from one injury, suffers another one. It looks like he's not going to be part of it. Dansby Swanson's playing for a contract. He's been playing out of his gourd at shortstop. But the guy in Atlanta who wants to earn a ring and not just have one put on his finger is Ronald Acuna Jr. And you've got a guy like Kyle Wright who had a magnificent season who wasn't really a, as big a part of their rotation last year. You, so you've got a pitching staff that looks different than it did last year. You've got Acuna, who's a game changer, no question about that. Freddie Freeman's wearing Dodger blue right now. So you got Matt Olson playing for something significant, and he's not in Oakland anymore, so getting in the playoffs is kind of a consolation prize for knowing you're going to be gone. So Atlanta's Atlanta looks different than dramatically different than the, do you, team do you won think, the World Series last year. But they're th- going to have if they do you think better St. Louis. Do you think possibly better? The Braves. It's really hard to say that no Freeman and no Albies is a better team, but Michael Harrison center field is brilliant. For me, he's the National League Rookie of the Year. But they, Paulie, they got to get through St. Louis. Yeah. 
Well, let's talk about and, the cards, man. And I, I wouldn't want to have to get through St. Louis respectfully. And Atlanta's going to have to do that because they're going to be the two and St. Louis is going to be the three. Unless, you know, hell freezes over and some of the Mets pull one out of you know where on a 30-foot rope. But you've got St. Louis who have Quintana and Montgomery pitching the best ball of their lives. You got Wainwright pitching out the string at the end of his career here. I hate their bullpen, but... I mean, you talk about what Albert's done in the second half here. You talk about Yachty emptying the tank because this is it. Arenado and Goldschmidt are MVP caliber guys. They got a bunch of young dudes surrounding them who are playing great baseball. They have been and continue to be arguably the best defensive team in all of baseball. And I just, I think St. Louis, Atlanta, you're going to have primetime television. That's going to that last year we talked about like which series before the World Series is the best series in baseball. And respectfully, you look at the American League and if you've got Tampa or Cleveland against the Yankees, I'm kind of eh, I'm I'm lukewarm on that. I kind of get hot and bothered if you know, if you if it ends up Seattle, Toronto versus Houston, that's a series that intrigues me, but you've got the the king sitting on his throne waiting for somebody to knock him off. And it's really a learning curve for both Seattle and Toronto at this point. The National League, the division series, if you end up with New York, L.A., and St. Louis, Atlanta, you've got four World Series caliber teams with two more series before they get a ring. Yeah. And this is, you know, using the hockey analogy, this is the miracle on ice, right? This is the U.S. beating the Russians, and everybody forgets that they still had to play for the gold medal. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you're going those two series, if it's St. Louis, Atlanta and the Mets and the Dodgers, those are going to be knockdown drag out easily could be seven game emptying the tank series. And then you got to go play the winner of the other series to get to the world series. So you're going to have pitching that's worn out. You're going to have bats that are going to have to play out of their mind. And you're going to talk about the Astros or Yankees in my mind, probably, going toe-to-toe in the American League Championship Series, and that's going to be great. I mean, look, Verlander Cole in Game 1, Game 4, Game 7 is what you pay. What That's what the TV networks sell ad space against, right? Yeah. But, I mean, you're going to have some battle scars coming out of the National League this year, man. Yep. You're going to have some teams that are going to just beat each other up, and you're going to have great baseball. And I, I think we're kind of – respectfully kind of throwing some cold water on the, on the fun parade type atmospheres that you could have in Philly and San Diego and Tampa and Cleveland and even Seattle and Toronto to an extent, because I think you've got really two alphas in the American league and you've got four in the national, but this is not going to be an easy postseason for anybody. And it never is, but I love the sixth team getting in because you're right. It's not one game. This isn't the Mets are going to go throw DeGrom against San Diego and then go Scherzer and Bassett and one and two against the Dodgers. They got to win two out of three to get the Dodgers. The Cardinals aren't going to throw Wainwright and, and have the sentimental get it done in one and then have Montgomery Quintana ready rested for Atlanta. You, you got to win two out of three to get there. And then you've got somebody sitting there rested, ready to go. I mean, kudos, I've talked about Manfred hating baseball and how nobody wants to deal with it, but 
Since June 1st, the Atlanta Braves are 77 and 32. <laughs> they were 10 and a half games back on June 1st, and they're looking like they're going to walk away with the division now. It's ridiculous what Atlanta's done again. But, I mean, this is, this is what makes the postseason so fun and why I say embrace the chaos. Because you know what? Cleveland could come out and bunt Garrett Cole into the next week and shock the world. Seattle could be too young to know that they're not supposed to be there and go beat the crap out of the Astros. And everybody's like, what just happened? You, the Juan Soto could dust one off, and he and Machado could carry the Padres to the National League Championship Series. And here, now, we haven't even talked about the Phillies and what Schwarber and Bryce Harper and Castellanos. Could well, that's be. what I wanted to ask you too on the Phillies. I wanted, to, I mean, because we're talking about pretty much everybody else here in the conversation. The Phillies have had a very interesting season, to say nonetheless. Um, with the managerial change, jumping Joe Girardi gets bumped out, and then you know they've just they've got tons of money invested into a lot of players in this team. You know, the great thing about this new playoff season series um, setup this year, too, is, you know, and this is what I'm going to ask you. The Phillies get a clean slate, right? Padres get a clean slate. Um, but as far as the Phillies are concerned, there's talent on this team. And in a three-game series, you know, granted being on the road or whatever, but is it is it unfair to at least, give these guys a little bit of a nod that you might want to watch out for them because they made some pretty big signings this year. And, you know, those bats will most likely, I haven't looked at, you know, where they are injury-wise myself, uh, but, you know, I'm not going to BS here. But if they're in the lineup here, Tab, I mean, that's that's a pretty formidable lineup for the Phillies. It is. And just looking at them since the 1st of September, guys that disappointed a lot this year, have shown up pretty well. JT Romito's got seven, had seven home runs in September. Kyle Schwarber had six. Reese Hoskins had 12 runs batted in in 22 games in the month. He's got an 810 OPS. Romito's got an 860 OPS. Bryce Harper's got not a lot going for him. He's, pre- he's going to be stuck as a DH because of the physical limitations, but he's slugging 944. You're not going to take him for granted. You're no, throwing to you're him. not, not like so. Edmundo Sosa, who they got from the Cardinals, has, has been really good for them at short. Um, they've got plenty of pop. There's no question about that. Um, they've got intriguing pitching, so I'll at least give them intriguing from a pitching staff perspective. I mean, Aaron Nola is supposed to have been the guy for them for four or five years here. He's three games under 500, but he's got a whip under one. He's got a three, three, six ERA. Kyle Gibson's been a really nice ad for them. Zach Wheeler's got, you know, 16 quality starts. Gibson's got 15. Nola's got 17. Ranger Suarez, I think has been a really fun surprise for them this year. Um, They got two five war pitchers on their staff. So, you know, What's to say that Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola don't go out in the first two games against the Cardinals and pitch out of their gourds? <laughs> They're and studs, absolutely, upset, right? yeah. Clean slate, man. I mean, look, and they've got Cindergard pitching, you know, I think today. 
So, and, and he, he could be a guy based on what he's got for, you know, an arsenal that could be a really incredibly dangerous weapon out of their bullpen. You know, if they decide that their three horses for the postseason are going to be Wheeler, Nola, Gibson, and they put Suarez and Syndergaard in the bullpen, that, that lengthens them out tremendously. Changes their entire bullpen situation. But, you know, with, with Harper's having his physical limitations, you know, Schwarber's had a lot of swing and miss lately. He's got 44 home runs, so not going to doubt that. But I, we've talked about their defense all year. They're going to have problems catching the ball, but they've got guys. You know, look, Nola's 226 strikeouts in 198 innings. Wheeler's got 163 strikeouts in 153 innings. You look at more than a strikeout per inning, that's kind of a big deal. And they've got two guys that are around 10 per nine. Nola's over 10 and Wheeler's at 9.6. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that they're a pushover for St. Louis by any stretch of the imagination, but I just look at top to bottom what St. Louis brings to the table. And look, having watched Quintana on both sides of Chicago, watched him in Pittsburgh, there's a guy there that could absolutely crap the bed and give you three innings of mediocre ball and then your bullpen's in the game. Montgomery's a guy who's kind of waffled between starting and, and middle relief for the Yankees for a while. If either one of those guys doesn't show up and you got to bank on Wayno in a game three, you could have some concerns if you're the Cardinals. You absolutely could. But I just that lineup, I think, is deeper and more consistent uh, puts the bat on the ball more frequently and with uh, bad intentions. And I just, the swing and miss and the defensive questions for the Phillies are where I struggle. And the reality is the Phillies shouldn't even be here, but the Milwaukee Brewers shot themselves in the foot at the trade deadline. And with that said, the fundamental issue. And with that said, to maybe put a wrap on this here with the new postseason structure, has the league, not as far as the administration of the league making the decision to go in this playoff kind of system, but has this baseball season evolved for you going into this new playoff system here? Do we have the right teams in the dance here? Obviously, you know, depending on what happens with uh, Philly and Milwaukee here. But this first run at this, do you think it kind of it played out played out pretty good, Ted? Yeah, because you had you had question marks all the way. I mean, you still have a couple question marks for seeding here. Right? Are the right teams in the dance? In the American League, yes. Order, the you, you could make a case about the order. On paper, I think that Minnesota and Chicago in the American League completely crapped the bed. Cleveland earned it. They've got a plus 58 run differential. So clearly they were the best team in that division. They're eight and two in their last 10 going into the last few days here of the regular season. They won 90 games, which is, which is as they're tied with Toronto for the uh, third best win total in the American league. So yeah, Cleveland's 21 games over 500. They deserve to be there. Um, In the American league, I do think that all the right teams are there in the national league. Um, I, I just, I, 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 you've heard me talk about Miami all year. I love their young pitching. I think that they're going to be trouble for 
years to come, if they ever figure it out and actually spend money wisely on bats to support their pitching, I would love to see Alcantara in the playoffs. Um, but they weren't there yet this year. They're 33 games back of Atlanta and they're 19 games back of Philly. So they're, they're not there. Um, there's really no question that the Giants, Diamondbacks, and Rockies aren't playoff teams this year. Even though the Giants are sprinting to the finish, you're eight and two in their last ten. You look at what they've done since the All Star break, and you could make a case that you know, look, the Cubs are finishing this. They're nine and one in their last ten. They've won seven straight. You talk about teams not getting in the dance. You got two seven game winning streaks sitting in third place in their respective divisions, and that's the best in baseball. And it's the Angels. Too the little, Cubs. too late, buddy. Way too little, too late. The Cubs are 11 games back in Milwaukee for second. The Angels are 14 and a half back of the Mariners for second in the West in the American League. But And look, Shohei's a generational talent. Mike Trout's incredible. The rest of the Angels around them, not good enough. Like I said, I've got no problem with who made it in the American League. For me, the biggest miss is Milwaukee. Yeah. And they've got an older, they've got an older team. Um, they've got really good pitching. Uh, and and they need to just, throw those blue and yellow unis into the dumpster, please, after the season. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. Yes, please. But, I mean, I just feel like we've talked about it this year, right? Minnesota had a stretch there where they were good enough to get in, but they never pushed their chips all the way in and went for it. Pittsburgh, when they had McCutcheon and Cole, and they had that team that was so good, and they were winning the Central Division, they could have pushed their chips in, and they never did. Milwaukee's pushed their chips in in the past. They went for it when they went and got, uh, you know, CC Sabathia that one year. They went for it when they went and got Zach Granke. But it feels like with what what the Cardinals had and looking at what the uh, you know what the future horizon is for the Milwaukee Brewers, Yelich is older, Kane is older. A lot of the guys on their team are older, or rentals for that matter. I kind of feel like this was the last stretch of games where Milwaukee could have really gone for it. And they opted to trade Hader, their closer, one of the best closers in baseball, who really didn't work out for the Padres. But they, they, and the Padres, they weren't going to catch the Dodgers, but they went out and got Juan Soto anyway. And they went out and got Hader anyway. Um, I just, I feel like Milwaukee's a team that, is built to be good and not good enough. And that's what's frustrating when you get to this time of year is you look at teams like Milwaukee and forever their fans will say, what if? Because they're sitting eight games back of the Cardinals and they're outside of the playoff race looking in and they really don't have a snowball's chance in hell of doing anything significant where if they still had Hater and Devin Williams was in the setup role, if they went and got one more like actual honest-to-goodness bat, or two. If the Brewers had done this year what the Braves did last year, I feel like this whole conversation is different because Council knows how to small ball people to death. He's got really good pitchers, and I'm not going to discount the fact that Freddie Peralta has been a non-factor for that rotation this year because he's a huge piece. Screwed my fantasy team. But I just I look at the Phillies and I look at the Brewers and you say, are the right teams in? And I feel like Milwaukee should have gotten in, but they're not in and they don't deserve to be in because their front office made the one wrong move and they didn't make a number of the right moves to keep them relevant in this conversation. And they've completely fallen on their faces. And it's a shame. Plus, 
and at a plus 35 run differential, that's half of what Philly's got. They don't deserve to be there. So, yes, if the Phillies get in, which they probably will, the right six teams are in in the National League, but Milwaukee spit the bit, and that's so frustrating if you're a Brewers fan because... And if you're a Bob Uecker fan. They should have and they could have and they didn't. And that's just stupid. (laughs) And I think that's what Bob Uecker would say. And and look, if you're the Brewers, you're looking at a team of a bunch of guys on the wrong side of 30. And like I said... The Cubs had a lot to be really happy and excited about down the stretch here. And they've got a really good farm system now, thanks in large part to trading Rizzo and Baez and Bryant and some of the moves that they made this year. Pittsburgh, O'Neill Cruz is a revelation at shortstop. Cabrian Hayes is really good. Will they ever get over being the Pittsburgh Pirates? We don't know. But they've got a lot of young talent coming. They've had really high draft picks the last couple of years, and those kids are going to show up at some point. If you're the Brewers right now, I feel like they're a team that next year sets up to be third or fourth in that division and not a team that's going to compete for the division crown. This was their chance to compete for a division crown. This was their year to push all of their chips in and say, screw it, we're going for it, and they didn't. And I give Minnesota credit for making the deal for Sonny Gray and throwing a boatload of money at Carlos Correa and making some changes cosmetically to figure some stuff out because they went for it. It didn't work. And you know, it's, it doesn't always work. The Cubs went for it with Quintana. They paid a King's ransom. It didn't work. It isn't always going to work. Last year, Atlanta pushed their chips in and it got them a ring. The Mets sat still this year. They were a little trigger shy to go for it. They probably could have made a couple plays. I think they missed the boat by not, trading a guy like Vientos to go get Wilson Contreras from the Cubs. But the, you're screwed if you do, you're screwed if you don't, because at this point you got to get in. The teams that are in, now you got to win it. But there are teams that were scared of their own shadow, and that's what really drives me nuts, is the teams that are scared of their own shadow and don't go for it when they should. And I look at what Seattle did, making the bold move to get Castillo, and they found a little accelerant for that fire, and they – found it and I look at Milwaukee and I look at the Mets and they were scared of their own shadows and they thought they were good enough and it completely miserably backfired and in the Brewers case it's going to cost them an October birth in the Mets case it's going to cost them a division crown and a buy in the first round so are the right six teams in in both leagues yes am I happy about which six teams are in not really because I really feel like in the case of the Milwaukee Brewers, they could have done more, they should have done more, and they didn't. And the other two teams that probably could have flipped the script and pushed more chips in than they did are the White Sox and the Twins. Because it isn't like Cleveland ran away with anything. They were still vulnerable all the way to the end. But for Minnesota to end up under 500 with what they did in the offseason, and for the White Sox to end up, as we record this, one game under 500 with a negative 28 run differential, three and seven in their last 10? No. You know what? If you're the White Sox and you're going to crap the bed and you're not going to get in, then you should have sold. If you're going to commit to Tony La Russa being your guy for the rest of the year and it's not going to happen, then they should have taken advantage of a buyer's market and gone out and tried to re-accelerate and find something that's going to flip the narrative for next year. Because now they're going to have a fresh manager coming in who's going to try and motivate a team that's already in place that's 79 and 80 going into the last three days of this regular season. On paper, they're better than a 500 team. But in reality, they're not because they didn't. And as Bill Parcell said, you are what your record says you are.
True that. Also very uh, surprising to see, not see the Red Sox involved in the mix this year. So uh, they got a lot of Well, and, and the Red Sox are going to be a team that's got a lot of questions to answer. And I think the team, the two teams that I'm going to watch this entire winter to see what they do to change their narrative in the next three to five years are Baltimore and the Cubs. Because the Orioles are five games over 500 with a team that wasn't supposed to be anywhere close to that. I mean, they're, what, 20-plus games better than they were last year? And they got and they're all rookies. This is a team that can go spend money if they want to chase some arms, right? Yeah. And the Cubs have got young pitching, so it's like the Baltimore Orioles could go buy a bunch of pitching and be a completely different animal, and Tampa could have to worry about them. Tampa's only four games in front of them. I think Tampa's going to be on a – I mean, I know – I, mean, I just Franco's think be there. Gonna they're going to have Tyler Glass now back next year, and he's an, a legit horse. But if I'm the Yankees, Blue Jays, and Rays, I'm very leery of what I've got sitting in fourth place in that division. Uh, and if I'm, I think the Cardinals should feel pretty good, even though they're going to have to figure out what next means behind the plate with no Yachty. And they're not going to have Albert Pujols playing like he's 29 years old all over again for four months. But, you know, if I'm in the top of the National League Central and if I'm in the top of the American League, it's, I, I'm looking in the rearview mirror at the Cubs and the Orioles saying, damn, we got work to do because we got a team that's creeping up on us and they're not going to go anywhere because they're built for the next five to seven years. They're not built to rent it for a year like the Red Sox have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the Brewer, the Brewer, I, for me, the Brewer's window has closed. Yeah, I agree. The young pitching's there, but the bats aren't there. They don't have any, like, really, really – a-plus bats that are going to totally change that division race. Um, I don't think it's a place that wasting, free agents want to go either. They're the prime of some other really good young pitching. Yeah, and I, I don't know if it's a place free agents want to go either, you know? so yeah, I don't think, it, based on what they did with Josh Hader, it's not a place that's going to go after the big whales. They're yeah. not going to be in the mix for Carlos Correa or Trey Turner. They Jeez. don't spend. They build from within, and they try and get to be really nice, and they get they sell one round of playoff tickets every couple of years, and they think that that's good enough. That's not good enough. It shouldn't be good enough, and your fans shouldn't accept it. But here, here they are looking looking up at a playoff race where every other team with a positive run differential of at least 20 runs is in the playoffs except you. And you're, you're plus 35. And you're 500 in your last 10, and you basically spoon-fed the Phillies, who were 4-6 and six in their last 10 and wanted nothing to do with the playoffs. You basically <laughs> held the door for them to walk into October. Yep. Yep. Well, here we are. We're uh, almost there, almost wrapping things up here pretty much uh next couple of days here, and we'll know who's all locked in and where everybody's going to be seated. Uh, last quick little recap, if we can, here. As far as the regular season, MLB as a whole this season here, Tab, not a lot of league controversy. A lot of it last year, you know, the the, the gooey stuff with the pitchers. Um, yeah, there's a lot of. Um, it seems to me this year a lot of there were a lot more off field issues in the league. Yeah, the controversy with, um, you know, the All Star game. I mean, um, the rules this year kind of you know played out. I think everybody's settling in now with the the extra inning thing, which is kind of a cool thing. You know, they'll, they'll figure out what they're going to do with. Uh, you know, the umpires going forward and strike box and, you know, speeding up pitches, what all, all that other stuff. But I think in general, you know, the league kind of was kind of a smooth kind of sailing league. I mean, I know we've got the athletics as, a, as an issue. I think it's a sad story more than anything in terms of just, um, you know, that city, what happens with that franchise and just seeing an empty ballpark. 
Um, you know, a lot of teams that respectively are just mediocre franchises that pretty much stay the same line. There's not a lot of excitement coming out. Some of the cities that, uh, you know, are not in, in the dance this year and didn't make too many improvements. Um, you know, obviously with a lot of the young talent we've raved about here, hopefully that'll start changing here. Maybe maybe things will start churning a little bit here now, especially with the the invent of this new playoff system. And because you know, we talked about this too, as far as the trade deadline, how teams are going to spend, what they're going to do. You know, you just got to get in there. You look at your division now. I think a lot of uh, front offices and managers can look the, the ones that the teams that didn't make it in uh, can kind of maybe you know a lot of the, the teams that you brought up, how close they were where they failed during the year in terms of, um, you know, how they played, where they tailed off, what they can do. Some teams might not be that far from kind of tinkering with a couple of things and say, hey, look, we make up 20 games here, you know, we can get in the playoffs. And it could be a huge um, impact on the franchise, uh, you know, as far as going forward for them. But I just wanted to get maybe just a quick uh, thought to you in terms of the regular season and, you know, how it kind of played out here this year, we've, we've talked obviously about, you know, how we both like the playoff system. I think the right teams are in there. You feel the same way too. But I think the baseball season, it, it had had a lot of good moments this year as opposed to us having to sit here during the podcast during the season having to talk about some unfortunate instance or some unfortunate news. Or We weren't really complaining a lot about the, the play of the game this year, and I think that's a good thing. Yeah, I think the, the two biggest – moments for me this year were the Padres and you're going to get to look at what they amount to now in the playoffs. Thanks Brewers. Um, But you know, I think the two biggest headlines off the field, if you will, this entire season, well, three. And I think one of them is what Tony La Russa did to the White Sox. Um, But the two big off field I guess controversial moments both involved the Padres and one was Fernando Tatis Jr. Mm-hmm. starting the season injured allegedly because he it was a motorcycle accident that he didn't want to do anything about or report until he got to camp and then the second he started looking like rehab was a possibility he got pinched for PEDs um, and then them acquiring Juan Soto and when you look at the teams that could have lined up around the block for Juan Soto, um, you know, the Cardinals could have made a play. They passed. I don't think that I'm happy that they did as someone that watches the Chicago Cubs, but uh, they're certainly not like somehow losing by not having him. Um, but that's the nationals were a team that had a young elite, potentially all time great player. They knew that they weren't going anywhere and they went and, totally overhauled their farm system for one guy. Because as we've talked about, the the Mets aren't getting younger. The Phillies aren't getting younger, better defensively. The Braves feel like they're locked in for a while, but with six teams in the playoffs, if you're Miami and Washington, if you can get some young guys together in a group, uh, you're really not that far away. I mean, look at, look at Philly. Um, But for me, those were those were really the two big storylines this year, and they both came out of San Diego. And that was when it became apparent that Juan Soto was going to leave Washington, who was going to step up and pay the King's ransom, and it was the Padres. And you forget that the PED suspension came just a couple days after the Soto deal was consummated. Yeah. Um, and so those are the two things that I think were – we're massive, and now you know what we're going to sit back this winter and look at is you've got another historic shortstop market. 
in free agency that could include Trey Turner and Carlos Correa and Dansby Swanson. You're going to have some teams with deep pockets that are ready to go spend. Um, you know, you, you wonder what the Texas Rangers are going to do after spending a half billion dollars on their middle infield last year. Um, after firing their entire front office and manager during the season this year. Um, with the LA Angels, with Artie Moreno putting that franchise on the market, you wonder what the future might hold for Shohei Otani, who got a one-year uh, $30 million deal from them earlier, you know, at the end of last week to avoid arbitration. That feels like a deal like, you know, the Indians or now Guardians would have given Francisco Lindor before he walked out the door. Um, so you wonder what the future of the Angels is going to look like with Otani. And if Otani bounces and the team gets sold, what does that mean for Mike Trout? Anthony Rendon's been a massive disappointment. Um, you wonder what a team like Minnesota does if Carlos Correa walks after one year. You wonder what the White Sox do with Tony La Russa out and with the team underperforming on the field. Um, you know, Lance Lynn's not young anymore. Giolito needs some money. Um, they've got a great building block in Dylan Cease. But you've got a lot of teams here that have question marks surrounding them. And you've got teams that really aren't spending a lot of money, especially in San Francisco on the north side of Chicago, that have historically spent a boatload of money who really aren't right now, who could really change this whole dang thing if they want to go out and get crazy and go spend a boatload of money. Uh, and that's where that Aaron Judge conversation is going to continue through the World Series is if he and Cashman can't break bread, there will be teams that are willing to give him what he wants. And like I said, if that's a 10-year deal at 40 a pop, somebody might do that. If somebody doesn't want to give a guy his age 10 years and they're willing to go $50 million a year for four years, you know, that, that's a consideration, especially when you look at what the Giants and Cubs have for a payroll next year. But it's going to be a really interesting winner. Um, and you're going to have some teams at the bottom that stay at the bottom, but they're trying to do something. You've got teams like Oakland and Pittsburgh and Cincinnati that have been at the bottom for a while, and you wonder when it's going to actually turn into spending and competing, if it ever will or does. But it's going to be a really fun winter because you've got young teams like the Cubs and Orioles that could spend and flip the script. You've got a team like the Giants that have some really good pieces that have a little bit of experience that could be dangerous in the free agent market. Um, it's going to be a fun winter, but you know what? We've got three weeks of playoffs to get through first. And you've got a team like Seattle that were an afterthought for years. And I think Seattle is the team that if you're the Cubs and the Orioles, you look at Seattle and you say, why not us next year? Yep. Why not us? Well, yeah, the summer, I mean, the winter to think about it. <laughs> Listen to me. I'm, I'm, I'm dreaming about the summer already again. <laughs> the winter to think about it. Oh, man. Well, there you go. It all starts Friday night as far as the playoffs are concerned. So uh, it's unbelievable. It's been a long season here, and uh, it's been uh, great to talk about it. Um, I guess, Tab, should, should we, you know, I mean, I think it would be only proper to find out if you won tons of money this year on your fantasy baseball team or. Nope. Nope. No. Thank you, uh, thank you to my pitching staff for soiling the sheets in a bad way. Uh, in my money league, uh, I am third out of fourteen teams in offense, and I am dead last in pitching. <laughs> no bueno. <laughs> no, it's been a train wreck, kids. Um, but some of those little nickel and dime pieces that I have suggested, and if you notice, most of them are bats. Uh, 
they've paid dividends. The bats have been there. Uh, I'm not in dead last, uh, middle of the pack, but middle of the pack doesn't make money at the end of the year, Paulie. And pitching plays. And just like the postseason, you've listened to us for the last hour, pitching plays. Pitching is going to determine the thing, and pitching is what kicked my fantasy team square in the stones this year. (laughs) Well, now, buddy, we have... Hockey fantasy leagues to look forward to, buddy. As we switch from the uh, the summer into the uh, the winter, winter ball. It's here, ladies and gentlemen. October. Time to put the big boy pants on and go out and win a championship. And we got some great teams and some great cities uh, represented here in the uh, MLB postseason. It's going to be a lot of fun. We'll be here for it. We'll be back next week. Things kind of uh, get rounded out, and we'll see how the first round goes. Uh, so it's been a lot of fun here. Uh, talking about uh, Major League Baseball right here on Line Drive Radio. I want to thank you guys hanging out with us all season long. Make sure you continue to follow us at Line Drive Radio, where you can find me and Tab, and we'll be chirping in uh, on the Twitter, as always, uh, once things get going here. Uh, but before we uh, turn the lights off, shut down the concession stands, lock the gates, head out to the parking lot for the ending of the regular season, we just, again, want to say thank you, and I'm going to turn it over to Tab here to say goodbye to the folks. And one last note here. Uh, my uh, Little League Angels combined for a no-hit game, 15 nothing hey. against the Little League Yankees. The only time I like beating the Yankees uh, on Friday there. So I want to tip my cap to my little boys there. It was my first hey, how about uh, it? managerial no, no. Uh, no-hitter win. That was good stuff. Outstanding, and you get full credit. <laughs> Uh, no, look, I, I think at this point of year, we always say we're turning the lights off and killing the sprinklers. But I think at this point, I will suggest as today is October, if you're in one of those markets like Seattle, Toronto, New York, Cleveland, New York, uh, St. Louis, Philadelphia, find a fire pit, get that TV flipped around in the face outdoors, get yourself something to drink and enjoy. Hopefully. A lovely fall season and some really exciting playoff baseball. Can't wait, buddy. I got the fire pit ready to go. All right, everybody. Go out there and enjoy it. We'll see you next time on Line Drive Radio. Woohoo! BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Calling all operatives. From now to March 30th, MGM National Harbor invokes your skills to play Covert Cash, a spy-themed kiosk game series where classified missions, hidden rewards, and daily thrills await. Sign up for MGM Rewards to play and unlock up to $25,000 in hidden free play daily and entries into our grand escape car drawing on March 30th. Visit MGMNationalHarbor.com slash Covert Cash to begin your mission. Must be 21. Please play responsibly. For help, visit MDGamblingHelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER.